God knows, having a missing child is worse than having a child that died. There is no peace. My belief is that it's still alive. Where? I could say. But yes, I keep that hope of him being alive. That's that's the thing that I, for me, is that, yes, he is still 32 years old. Yes, his birthday is still on the 24th of February. And yes, he disappeared on the 24th of March. And, and yes, he's still alive in, in my heart. Somebody somewhere must have seen something. And it was the first day of school holidays. Kids were playing outside. It's a Wednesday in early September 2020 when we meet up with the Olsen family in their Mitchell's Plain home. It's been 23 years since their nine-year-old son Matthew went missing, vanishing without a trace on March the 24th, 1997. They've given countless interviews to the media since then. It's pouring in Cape Town. The sound of the heavy rain nearly drowns out their voices. A photo of Matthew's smiling face dominates the lounge of their modest home, placed carefully at the top of a display cabinet. It's the same photo that has been used by many media houses, instantly recognizable as the missing little boy frozen in time after more than 20 years. I'm Catherine Rice, and this is Missing Matthew, a podcast by News24. We bring you the first episode in the hope that a revival of this story will trigger a memory, a sighting, and hopefully provide a piece of this unsolved puzzle. Matthew was the second oldest of four children. As the oldest of the boys, he regarded himself as the man of the house. Matthew was like a, um, I would say, he thought he was older than Melanie, the way he was at that time. Um, when my husband is not home, he feels like he's the man there. He wants to fix everything. Um, we would take things out of my hands and, um, no, mommy, let me do this and let me do that. And if I carry things and he would, he would say, no, I'll carry both bags for you. He was that type of boy where, where um, he did, I mean, like to fix things. Um, he used to work weekends with my husband. He spare jobs like, um, doing the paving or the walls or painting, then he would take Matthew with him. It was good. Yeah, he was very good in that. And it was just a happy, you know, a um, happy child that they have the normal moods. When he wants to be alone, he would let you know, leave me alone, I want to be alone. And always had a smile on his face. Michelle and Michael Olson had their hands full with 10-year-old daughter Melanie, nine-year-old Matthew, seven-year-old Justin and two-year-old Jason. Happy chaos reigned in the household with four children, but Michelle, a stay-at-home mother, was always there keeping a constant eye. Matthew's father, Michael, was working, but always looked forward to spending time with his family. It was a, um, it was a joy being around him, always bubbly. So always um, activities that uh, we to uh, interact with experience. So yeah, so they were quite a handful, but yeah, but it was a pleasure to, um, to, to raise them. Michelle was somewhat overprotective, so much so that her former neighbor, Farida Abrams, entrusted her with her own child. 
I remember I just had a baby then. Uh, I had to go back to work, you know. But what I do remember about Michelle, she was that type of mother that would take the kids to school, fetch them from school. So with the result, I could see she was very overprotective where children are concerned, which is why I took my son to her when I went back to work. She remembers Matthew as a kind and generous child. He used to play with my son, you know, and like they had one back in the house when my son was there and he would let him ride. My son ride the bike, you know. He was a very loving and giving child, very sweet. Um, he would greet you, you know, where other kids would walk past you, he would greet you. So that's how I knew, you know, um, this family reared the kids very well. The Olsons were a church-going family and on Sunday, March 23rd, 1997, a day before Matthew's disappearance, they went to church as they always did. It was the day before the start of the Easter school holidays, but Michelle had an uneasy feeling. I think it started on the, on the 23rd. The 23rd was a Sunday. My children went to the, um, with the church. They were in the brigade. So the church, and it was almost Easter, so they went to take Easter eggs to the psychiatric department, you know, for the children that was there. And um, I cannot tell you what it was, but the minute they came into the house, I had this urge, I don't know what to call it. In those days, I would call it the six cents. People would talk like that. But this urge was so that I want to take them away now. The next day is the school holiday, the 24th. And uh, um, we used to hitchhike, you know, to my sister in Levendale. Well, she, she raised me, so I would say my mother, to her in Levendale. And uh, um, I sent the children to go phone every uncle they know to take us to Levendale. Because at that time, the money wasn't like it was today. I mean, it's 23 years ago. We didn't, we weren't so um, good in finance that we are today, you know. And uh, we didn't have a phone, we didn't have a car, we didn't have no money. But this was just pressuring me, I need to go get away today. And for some reason, my my my, my, my husband said, no, we can't go, it's like today. And it's already too late or I don't know what, yeah, some kind of thing. Now we're going to leave tomorrow morning, but you're going to go with your brigade clothes. That sunny Monday morning, waiting for her husband to take them to Lavender Hill, Michelle stayed home with her children. She sat in the lounge with her daughter while Matthew and Justin played in the bedroom. You mean Justin was, was playing in marbles in the room and they were fighting over the marbles and, and, and um, you know, like, boys, this is mine and this is yours. And I went inside and I was, I was yelling at them because uh, um, they, they, they were fighting. That was before he went out. So he didn't get dressed or anything. He didn't have anything in his hand. Um, he didn't have, a, you know, what the people, afterwards when people talk about, he must have ran away. I didn't see because any child at the age of nine would not go out in the underpants and a vest, bare feet. So for me, I feel that somebody called him 
Matthew went outside to take in the dustbin. We live in a cul-de-sac. And um, I said, yes, so get in. And did you know Melanie looked out of the window? Melanie said, Mommy, he's outside, man. Because he was coming to sit next to me. He's outside. I said, I heard him put the bin down. Why I hear the bin down? Because I was, I was that type of person. I think I still am the type, the type of mother where, where I hear a lot. You know, I've got a good hearing. And when it comes to my children, I monitor them. You know, my ears, I think I, I'm even in my sleep. That is the kind of person I was. And I said, Melanie, I heard him put the bin down. He said, yes, mommy. He's, and she went to the window. She said, yes, he's outside. When she went outside, he was nowhere to be found. I mean, really, Elaine, we are in the school, the set. A child just got the bin in, but he's not outside. Um, my opposite neighbors was um, washing windows. You know, when you wash windows, everything is open. And uh, um, I went over to her and I asked her, have you seen my son, Matthew? Um, this lady gave me this answer, Matthew, do you have a son, Matthew? And you know, that question just came through me, like right through my body, that is the type of person I am. Why would you ask me like that? And I said, oh, it's fine. And then I said, Melanie, um, just lock the door. I'm going to phone your daddy, you know? Um, and I, I came in again before I went to go do the call. I came in, we had all kinds of animals in the yard because we love animals. Chickens, ducks, um, birds, whatever you have, you, you name it, we have it. I lift up all our chicken lockers and open it. Um, I think I turned my house into a tornado in a few minutes time. Lift up all the beds, empty all the cupboards, look for places where a child could play hide and seek. Because that's the only answer now for me. But he was nowhere. We visited the home they lived in at the time while conducting this interview. And it seems impossible that nobody in the neighborhood could have missed seeing him being abducted in broad daylight. His sister Melanie was the last person to see him. The people opposite here, they were still um, washing windows, so everything was open. At that house there, there was an old man sitting outside every day from the morning till the evening, just sits outside. And yeah, like I said, so the cars would drive here, but if, as soon as the car comes in here, you can hear something. So I didn't hear any cars or anything like that. So you can see from here till there, walking in his underwear, didn't make sense to me that he would leave anyway. So I don't know if someone that he knows would have called him maybe and he went all there and got in the car there, over there, but that's all I know, yeah. Michelle rushed to a public telephone to call her husband. As I was on site, I got a call to say that over the radio that I need to to go home because something happened to my son. So um, we um, immediately came, but 15 minutes we were in Autry. 15 to 20 minutes we were here um, in Mrs. Plain. And the only thing I heard myself said that Matthew is gone. The search began, scanning the faces of every child playing in the street. Family and neighbors joined in, including Michelle's sister, Priscilla Limon. 
that day, every child looked the same to me. Every child looked like Matthew that day. I just wanted to see him. I just wanted the tears to be out of my sister's eyes to see this a child. But that never happened. Several hours later, the family went to the Mitchells Plain Police Station. They filled out pages of forms to file a missing persons report. And then when I was the form was filled in, I asked them, now the form is filled in, can we go and can and assist? They said, no, the form must go now to the person or to the officer who's dealing with missing children. So I said, let's take it to him. He said, no, he really left home because it was that time of the day. So I said, but then what, what then? He said, well, that's all they can do. They don't have uh, um, enough manpower to, to send a van to come and assist us. The Olsen family searched throughout the night with the assistance of their neighborhood watch. It would take police until later that afternoon to commence a search. The army was also called in. By then, the first 24 hours crucial in any missing persons case had passed. Police only interviewed Michelle and Melanie four days after Matthew's disappearance. This person that, that interviewed me and Melanie, that person, I think, got the, the ball rolling about a runaway. When he came into my house and he, he questioned me and he asked me, can you show me where's the weapon you use on your child? And that was for me. I see weapon. I see this man for the first time in my life. Why are you talking about a weapon? And I was talking to Melanie, and I think Melanie can speak for herself, but I was in there where he spoke about what kind of boy he was. And he got a lot of hiding and asking Melanie, um, when Matthew was naughty, did your mama hit him? You know, as a normal child, Melanie answered, yes, he did. But after his interview with Melanie, on that Friday, the Wednesday, the plainsman came out and met you threatened to run away. So for that is where the whole shift promising went to run away. The article in the community newspaper, The Plainsman, created the perception of an abusive mother. And then, in the family's mind, the case took an even more sinister turn one that would impact the investigation. That is where everything went wrong. People looked at me in a different way. I would walk in the streets and people would, you would hear people say, you know, that was attached on me. I was at this lady or mother that was so, did something so bad to this child that this child ran away, had to run away. Ever since then, Melanie has lived with a sense of guilt. She says her words were twisted, and in hindsight, she believes the investigating officer had questioned her as if he already had made up his mind that her mother was abusive. He actually asked if he ever got a hiding. Because I said, yes, we all get hidings, because if we're naughty, we get hiding. And then they said, okay, then he, he asked if Matthew got more hidings than us. So I'm like, if he's more naughty, then you'll get more hidings. So I'm 10 years old and he's asking me these questions. I'm just answering him because I'm being respectful. He's an adult and when someone asks you a question, you answer. 
So I, did, I didn't think there was any stories behind it because the way I'm answering is he wants to know something and clearly this man is here to help because he's the policeman and the policeman helps people. When I got older, my mom actually got a, a copy of the questions. I actually was so hurt that what I saw, what he wrote down, was out of context. Farida remembers the shift in public perception. She has really suffered. Wow. And the police treated her like a criminal, to be honest with you. They treated her like um, she was this abused mother and the child ran away. That's how they treated That's what I can remember, how they treated her. But dressed in his underpants and vest, it seems unlikely that Matthew would have run away. A child that ran away cannot disappear. If he ran away, how far can he run away? When nobody can find him. I knew my child at that time. I knew my life at that time. And I know a mess up when I see a mess up. Next on Missing Matthew, we focus on the police investigation, the twists and turns of a family searching for answers and the false hopes as rumors led to dead ends. This was Missing Matthew, episode one. It was produced by me, Catherine Rice, for News24. Audio production by Greg Kokveos. Field recording by Bertram Malchas. News24 multimedia editor, Charlene Root. Music courtesy of Getty Images and Epidemic Sound. Special thanks to the Olsen family. Anyone with information on the disappearance of Matthew Olsen can contact the investigating officer, Lieutenant Colonel Daliwanga Saki of the Mitchell's Plain FCS unit on 082-559-4631.